Welcome to the Future of Learning and Work podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Keir. Each week, I highlight the people and companies shaping the future of education, training, and work. This week's guest is Alberto Aranaza, co-founder of Transcend Network. Transcend has a fellowship for early stage founders building in the future of learning and work. Alberto and I talk about being in the first graduating class of Minerva, what he's doing with Transcend, and some big picture problems in the space. Hope you enjoy, and don't forget to share and review. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Spencer. Um, I think that I'll start with um, you know, where, where it all started, which is in, in Madrid, in Spain, which is where I am back right now. Um, so I'm originally from here, from Spain. Um, I think I, I always knew that I, w- I wanted to be abroad and wanted to be traveling. So um, I started university in Scotland, the University of Glasgow. And as I recently wrote about, I was hanging out at this 500 year old university in Glasgow for a year and then learned about a one year old university at the time, which was Minerva schools. Um, and that change seemed like a pretty exciting change for me. So I changed, uh, I, I transferred to Minerva in there and was a part of the first graduating class there. And I would say that's a big change in, in my life, a huge transformation for me. Um, and really put me in the path that I am right now. So um, at Minerva, I don't know how much you know about the program, but basically four year undergrad, um, it's based in San Francisco, but you go to a different city of the world every semester. So the classes are all done online. They're done through uh, kind of life seminars and um, that allows you to basically not have a campus. So because, that, um, because of that, the, the cost is much lower. Um, you have the flexibility to go to different parts of the world every every semester. So um, being there in the first year was a pretty intense experience, as you can imagine. There was just a lot of work to, to build the experience from scratch and um, to find many of the things that have ended up becoming pretty big institutional uh, aspects of the, of the university. Um, and it put me, kind of, it got me thinking about the, the topic that is really top of mind for me right now, which is that there was all these entrepreneurs that were building really exciting educational experiences around the world. And it felt like nobody was talking to each other. There was just uh, a lot of thinking happening at the local level to try to understand how to better cater to the needs of uh, local populations. And I think there was a bit of a mismatch in my mind with how basically uh, the, the, the world of learning was evolving, which was becoming a lot more um, focused on the internet and just uh, building communities online. And so me and my co-founder, Michael, uh, we had met uh, in, in San Francisco a few years back and decided to get together to basically address this problem and try to connect early stage founders and that were rethinking the future of education, the future of work and connect them through a, uh, some sort of community or, or network um, which is how Transcend Network got started. So we're going to go into detail into each of those things you talked about, talked about but I want to start with Minerva and do a deeper dive there. Yeah. Um, can you explain what attracted you to the program? And yeah. then you were in this interesting place where being in the first year, um, you're kind of seeing the program evolving and developing as you're a part of it. They're, they're building the plane as they're flying it. Um, so if you could talk about that a little bit as well. Totally. So it's interesting because the factors that drove me to Minerva in the first place probably changed um, 
when I, they're different from the factors that made me stay through the experience. So um, initially I was really drawn to the experience because at Glasgow, at my previous university, I was doing all these activities after class to, to feel like I was learning and I was building community. I was probably in 30 clubs at the time and uh, just going to one or two events every single day uh, just to meet people and just do interesting stuff. And Minerva, what Minerva promised was a, an academic experience that was integrated with all these projects and these curiosities and a much more interdisciplinary approach to learning. And that was really, really exciting to me, um, as well as the the global component. So you start in San Francisco in your second year, you go to Hyderabad in India and in Seoul in South Korea. You go in your third year to Berlin in Buenos Aires. And then last year is spent between London and Taipei. And so that was a pretty exciting uh, proposition as well. But really the reason why I stayed is because, I mean, all of those things were, were true, but I was just really excited to be there with the group of students, uh, Minervans, um, that all showed up to a random university that had no alumni. And um, I think we we just were really connected because of that experience, um, all showing up there to to build a university, build up uh, the, the the plane while, while flying it. Um, so, yeah, I think. Um, What's interesting to me about that experience is that we we were able to think about a lot of stuff that in 2014, 2015 felt really distant in a way. It felt like it was something that wasn't going to go mainstream anytime and that in 2020, it became a lot more real, uh, much faster than we thought. So all of a sudden we had to rethink what a learning experience looked like when everyone was joining from uh, uh, from their laptops and the professors were often all over the world. Um, how to make that learning experience more engaging, how to um, kind of be a local, how to build local relationships while working remotely and studying remotely. Um, all those things that have become pretty relevant these days. So I think that was, that was the place where I started thinking a lot about the questions that now take up most of my time at Transcend. So, uh, and the people that I've met there, I always say are both the smartest and the kindest humans I've ever met, uh, which is a very rare combination. And even with Transcend, we a lot of our hiring is, we're just looking at Benervans that are available for job and, and trying to um, get them on board because they've had very relevant experiences and um, they're all really passionate about what they do and very global, which is also just very, very important to us. You said that the, the types of people that Minerva attracted and cultivated, you've kind of tried to replicate that within Transcend, um, or at least you've looked for those, those elements and people to some degree. What are some of the other educational insights or, or ways about building a program or your fellowship did you take away from Minerva and incorporate mm -hmm. into Transcend? Yeah, so a lot of it, has nothing to do with the actual sessions or the actual community building or the, the, the classes, uh, let's call it that. And it starts with the admissions process. So um, I think Minerva obviously has a lot of, of flaws and things that it can be improved. But one thing that I, I always have been very impressed with is the admissions process where um, they basically set an absolute bar and they 
and they say, look, um, these are the things that we're going to look for in the in a student. Um, and if we find students that make it across, uh, that make it over the, this score, we'll take them. If not, we won't. And um, that means that sometimes, well, you can't have a wait list to begin with. Um, you can't know exactly how many students you're going to get the next year. Uh, but I think it's a, it speaks a lot to this idea of just like real like merit-based admissions um, that has nothing to do with your ability to pay for the program. So um, they accept people, then they figure out how much they can pay. And this is something we've tried to replicate at, at Transcend where we have, we involve fellows in the interview process for future fellows. Uh, we try to have a scorecard, like a scorecard basically that, that we can um, fill out to get a, a score for everyone who applies to the fellowship and then we and then we we look at how much they can actually pay so we ask them how, how much they can pay we don't look at that number through the application process and then we we see if they can actually pay for it um after after they got an accepted so that is that's a, a pretty big shift i think in the way that most um most other organizations would think about admissions which was radically cool different me. i would i would argue i mean yeah at least if, it, if it's not upfront um, behind the scenes. And, and we saw this with some of the like college admissions scandals, um, but very much income and your ability to pay plays into it when I like that you're flipping it on its head and thinking, how can we make this more of a meritocracy? How can we attract the right people? And then let's figure out how, how they can uh, afford the program or, or, um, run through the program. And, and that's admittedly difficult when you're running a business. Uh, if it's a nonprofit, maybe that makes more sense. Um, but I, I think the quality of the candidates and the experience that they get in the community you build is better for it in the end. Totally. And, and this is actually connected to the second point that I, I wanted to make, which is that diversity drives diversity. Uh, and Minerva, from the get-go, was a very global um, institution where students were joining from all over the world. Um, I think in my class, we were about 100 students. I think it must have been like 30 countries that were represented. Um, so I think that is something that I thought a lot about when we were starting with Transcend, where we knew from the beginning that we needed to find founders from different countries from the get-go, because that was going to drive admissions, that was going to drive applications from uh, those those same countries. So. Um, we would have this interesting phenomena sometimes in um, at Minerva where one year you'd have a student that would then refer a bunch of students the next year. And then you'd have this kind of clusters of, of students that were all applying that were really good fits for Minerva that were all applying from a, a certain country. So for example, the first few years, we had a lot of students from, um, from Israel and Bulgaria. And it was because there, were, there had been someone that had introduced Minerva to the right group of students that had, that had then introduced it to more people. So what Transcend, we took the same approach. Um, and I want to think that we've been um, pretty good at this and, and, and being very intentional about getting to the countries where we don't have that much of a presence. Um, so that was another big lesson that, that we took from, from Minerva. Awesome. So let's dig more into Transcend. So if you, you gave, you know, a sentence or two on it at the beginning, but if you could explain more what Transcend is um, and the problem 
I think you already explained to some degree what the problem was that you saw in the market, but how you see Transcend solving that problem. Yeah. So Transcend is a global network of founders, early stage founders that are rethinking the future of education and, and work. And the way that we work with founders in, in this network is through the fellowship. So we run the Transcend Fellowship uh, a few times a year. Right now we're running it quarterly. Um, and in this program, we select 20 founders from all over the world to, to go through a basically a month and a half experience. So it's pretty short, but in that month and a half, we make sure that they're connected to each other in a really meaningful way and um, connected to the wider Transcend community, which I'll get to in a second, that they are connecting with investors, with operators and founders in the space, and that they also know about the, the research that we're doing around the, the space and some of the content that, we, that we're building based on the success cases that we're seeing in EdTech and the future of work. So um, we've had four cohorts of, of the fellowship so far in, since we started in 2020. Uh, that means that we've worked with 80 founders from 20, 25 countries, I believe, or 24 countries. Um, of those, um, yeah, I would say, I can't really tell you the, the percentage that's uh, outside of the US. I, initially, it was a little bit hard to find student, uh, founders outside of the US because both my co-founder, Michael, and myself were based in San Francisco. Um, but, but yeah, they come from 24 different countries. And yeah, so right now we're at this point where at 80 founders, um, the, the fellowship experience is becoming just as meaningful as what happens after. So we keep running weekly events, we keep running. We're now experimenting with masterminds and like different uh, programs that we run for the wider community. So uh, all the founders who've gone through the fellowship at this point. And yeah, and, and, and that's, um, that's something that's becoming more and more important that we're, um, th we're, we're hiring um, for a position for someone who just thinks about how to build this community experience and, and continue growing it. Um, so that's a little bit on, on what the actual program is. Um, we're not an accelerator, so we don't take equity in the companies that go through the, the program. We think of ourselves as a fellowship because we basically have a, a tuition. So it's a uh, right now it's been $500 for the first uh, paid fellowship program. That's going to uh, increase over time. And um, kind of the, when I look at the, the, the existing solutions for early stage founders, I think there is absolutely a gap in terms of supporting founders in the space. Um, we talk to early stage funds all the time, uh, VC funds mostly, and everyone wants to do community and wants to go a little bit earlier, but I think it's really hard for them when their incentives are, and, and all their deal flow is coming in later. Um, and we think that we have a pretty unique opportunity to be that kind of go-to player at the earlier stages. So um, we want to go from the idea stage to the seed stage and really be the, the player that um, can best support founders at that stage. Um, and, and yeah, this is what we're doing right now. We're pretty focused on that kind of pre-seed um, founder right now, but we see ourselves go, both going earlier um, and helping founders that just have an idea, but don't really know what to do with it, um, or they don't have the validation yet. And, but also go a later stage and at some point be able to invest in the company and some of the companies that go through the fellowship. Um, 
and be able to support them later in their in their cycle. And as the network grows, you can it, it makes more sense to add move a little further upstream and downstream, and you uh, you can better support those individuals, and you have the the network effects to make it more worthwhile, especially for the people who are earlier stage. Totally. Um, yeah. Can Can you talk a little bit more about what the different key components or elements are of the the fellowship model? Yep. I would say there's there's really two components. Um, one is the community of founders, which we didn't know this when we started. And this was the first thing we got a validation on. And it's that founders really, really want uh, to be a part of a supportive community uh, that can help them validate ideas that validate their feelings and their struggles. And it's, it's a really difficult and lonely journey. And what we found was that early on, we were able to build a fellowship just based on that experience that we were able to provide. So from the get-go, we were really intentional about saying to people that, look, we've gotten a bunch of applications. We selected you because you meet the standards. Like You are all people with a lot of integrity. And uh, we're going to make sure that you get to know everyone in this cohort and that you just like build this intimate spaces for uh, connection as founders. And that was surprisingly effective. I think um, people responded, founders responded really well to that. Um, so I would say we do a lot of stuff and this is even like on a weekly basis uh, within the Transcend Fellowship. We have one event on Tuesdays that is pretty much focused on creating this space for connection between founders. Uh, we've seen co-founders doing weekly calls after the fellowship because they basically just become friends. Uh, we've had people that have started companies together and you can look at this from a very rational perspective, like, oh yeah, they were building projects in the same space, but really it comes down to that social connection and, and, and feeling like they are part of the same community. So a lot of our effort goes there. And I would say through 2021, we, we really doubled down on that through the year. And Secondly, I would say there's this, a, another part of the experience, which is how much tangible help we can give these founders when it comes to understanding the, the space that they're operating in. So uh, we think we, we kind of bundle a bunch of things here, which are research, connections to industry, um, tools that we can actually build for them, and a lot more tactical stuff, um, content as well, that we can provide them frameworks, connections to operators. And on, on a weekly basis during the fellowship, that's what Thursdays are for. So Tuesdays, we call them Founder Labs, and these are all about connection between founders. And then Thursdays, we have uh, these events we call Skill Labs, which are about basically having a, a framework that we've developed ourselves um, and either explaining it to the founders in a very interactive way, in a very practical way, or having someone else um, share one of these frameworks. Um, so that's how we think about it. I think generally we put a lot more thought into the social experience, the social kind of the, the community experience than any other accelerators or fellowships that we've seen out there. Um, and we think this is important because a lot of these founders, they've never been a part of a community that's only uh, for, for this type of work. and. It's, it's really diverse. I mean, in terms of the, the type of work that people are doing, where people are coming from, we, when we started, we really didn't know 
whether a founder in Argentina could relate to a founder in Russia uh, or like, and then another one in Rwanda, like we, we really didn't know if this was going to be true. And that was one of the really pleasant surprises of running the fellowship. I think a lot of, a lot of people and companies and organizations are doing community and education but they're often separate or siloed. So even if you look at you know, the university model, there's certainly community there, um, but it isn't the two being intertwined. I don't look at my classmates in uh, you know, biology 101 as people I'm going through this shared experience and time of learning about biology uh, as like a, a peer in that sense. Um, and so I think the, the beauty of Transcend and a lot of these other fellowships on deck, for example, is that you are combining the community and education element and together there's synergy there. And that also leads to this like continual learning. So the, the community, uh, I'm gonna make a pun here, but the community transcends um, their, their six week period in, your, in the cohort, that cohort continues on and they keep refining one another and improving and learning. Um, and then you add in the element you were talking about with diversity. And so now you're getting uh, viewpoints that you otherwise wouldn't have available to you if I just, for example, got a, bun a bunch of people together in Los Angeles or Madrid. Um, so there's, all, there's this intersection of, of community and education and globalization that make this so powerful. Yeah. And I think the, the way that I think about that initial premise that you shared is that learning is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. It's it, for, for most people, it's really hard to open up their learning journey. They, they kind of close themselves off because they, it's a very vulnerable experience that a lot of people don't want to expose. And when you're learning with someone, that's very vulnerable. That, that, that takes you to like, that, that builds a lot of trust when done well, but, um, but it often isn't done well. So the way that we think about it is that if we're able to allow people to open up as they're learning to be founders and they're struggling, we think a lot of really good things will happen after because they've already crossed the, the most difficult um, barrier. So that, that's, that's how we think about it. And the fellowship is really focused on building connection between those 20 founders so that you kind of have a, it's almost like a rite of passage type of experience that um, after and this is always a work in progress, but after you go through the fellowship and you know those 20 founders really well, you will feel like the, the, the community experience is going to be um, probably much more valuable than the fellowship itself because you can choose, it's, it's a little bit more a la carte, but um, you've already gone through the initial threshold or of opening up and um, so, but yeah, it, it, it's always something we're, we're thinking about how to improve and now that we're getting to 80 founders, 100 within a few months, th these are numbers that they're really small. We, we're not going to grow this to thousands of, um, of founders within a year. We're, um, but I think we're, we're getting to a point of critical mass where that community experience becomes a lot more interesting. And it's to a point you made earlier, it's specialized. And, and so again, uh, just because on deck is, is top of mind right now, um, whereas they have, you know, tens of programs and, and multiple cohorts, this is very focused and specialized. So for somebody who is going through and building a, a future of learning and work business, you can glean more value from people with 
working in the same space than, you know, a very generic fellowship program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, all of this stuff, uh, I, I, I guess I, um, the way that I think about other fellowships and other accelerators is that I leave it up to the founder. If the founder feels like on deck or another accelerator that might be general, a generalist accelerator or something is more valuable to them. Well, one, we've probably done something wrong because um, we haven't been able to kind of crack that industry, instant industry access component, which is kind of the second part of what I was uh, talking about yes, uh, uh, earlier. Um, but I, I don't think like more options for early stage founders are always great. I, I think I, I really hesitate to call anyone a competitor in this space because I think uh, there's such diversity of, of needs of, with founders that I think everyone everyone's successes, I think are our successes. So I think about it in a very generative way. I, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so, so where does Transcend go from here, both in the next, let's call it the next nine months so finishing out this year, but then looking, let's say five, 10 years down the road, you had alluded to, you know, the idea of expanding both to help people earlier in the ideation process, but then also maybe, uh, you know, giving them funding further down the road. So, so what are you thinking about near-term and long-term? Yeah, so that's a great question. And one that I, um, always am very cautious to um, to try like I think it's it's always hard to be very like too deterministic with with these things. Um, I can tell you where I think it can go. Um, what we know for sure is that we're going to run four fellowships this year. That's going to add a hundred founders to our community, and I feel really good about the type of founders that we're working with and the experience that we're building for them. I think we've. We basically took 2020 to, to figure it out, figure out what the experience looked like, uh, zero in on the type of founder that we wanted to work with. And we're getting to this point where I think now people know a little bit more about us. Um, and more importantly, every founder um, is referring other founders that, that they know, which is a really good sign for us. Um, what we're going to actively experiment with in the last in, in the next few months is both, as you said, going a little bit earlier. So basically take everything that works from the pre-seed stage fellowship and then try to run it for early stage, um, basically idea stage founders. And the experience will have to be a little bit different, right? So um, we have to assume that these founders have a full-time job elsewhere. We have to assume that um, they, they don't really have a team. So some aspects of the experience will change, but I think um, the overall feel of the community. And um, I think that will be a relatively similar. Um, and I guess to, to your second point, uh, we're starting to see founders that went through the earlier fellowships start to raise series A's. Um, and we feel like we're, we have pretty good access because we're able to work with the founders before they kind of get the validation that um, they might get through going to YC or uh, getting a seed, seed round from a, a, a large edtech uh, fund. And, and so we're going to start thinking about ways to deploy very, like very, very small checks that allow us to um, just position ourselves to, to start investing there. So I think those things can happen um, kind of in a parallel way. I think where it becomes really interesting is if we're able to connect the, the two really meaningfully and, 
be able to create an engine that takes someone at the idea stage and gets them to connect with the community, connect with potentially co-founders, with all the right tools they need to validate an idea and grow the team and get an investment from us. That's like, oh, that's, that's a dream, right? Like be, being able to be almost like a full stack of uh, ed tech startup builder. Um, and, and I guess we'll, we'll see how with all these experiments, we, we basically, we're very, we always try things out and then experiment with them. And if we see that something's working, we double down on, on it. And so that's, that's always our approach and will be to both of these endeavors as well. I think one of the, uh, whether it's intentional or unintentional, but benefits of having this fully vertical view and, and in the long term being able to serve both people very early in the idea stage, but then also very far along, um, is the community is also kind of self-perpetuating. So the you as somebody running Transcend doesn't always have to be involved day to day in the, the learning and growing experience. People who are further up the pipeline will be able to support and help one another, uh, help other folks who are earlier on, kind of like you know a schoolhouse where you have the fifth grader helping the first grader. Um, and that just makes the, the community and network that much more powerful. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, we also have to be strategic about how we can connect those um, and, and very iterative because I think on paper that, that sounds about right. Um, but, but again, until we see something, uh, we, we try not to, uh, not to like think too much about it. Uh, because like, for example, all the ideas that I've, I've had for Transcend that may or may not convey um, are around like helping folks almost like point them in the right direction as, we're, as they're um, looking at potential ideas uh, for startups, um, but also thinking about the impact of our work. Um, I think something that I, I, I definitely want to kind of bring up as I think about Transcend is that we, we think a lot about the impact of our work. Um, I personally think this is the highest leverage thing I could be doing for the world. Um, but if I, the moment I stop believing in that, I think I'll, I'll probably stop doing this work and I'll pass the baton to someone else who wants to run Transcend because the world is burning. There's, I think about 250 million kids that are out of school and uh, over 60 million, no, I think it's a little bit less than uh, 60 million um, kids in primary uh, school age around the world that are out of school. And it, it feels like if, if this work allows us to accelerate our progress towards, um, we can look at the, the sustainable development goals for 2030 or whatever metrics we want. If, if this work that we're doing allows us to get to that point, then I think it will be worth it. But if not, I think that, I mean, there, there's plenty of challenges to work on. The, the planet is, is burning and uh, there's just all time, like all time uh, unemployment, uh, all time high unemployment in many regions. Um, Spain, where I am right now, lost 10% of its GDP in the last year. Um, there's, there's plenty of problems to be focusing on. And I think at Transcend, this is something I, I wanted to mention because we're thinking a lot about it in terms of a future roadmap that this kind of impact and, and this measurement of impact or being able to guide people into impactful opportunities needs to be a part of our roadmap. Otherwise, I think 
our reason for existing is will become pretty meaningless. Well, and I think in, implicitly it is a part of your vision. I mean, education is foundational to everything we do. So if you are helping people build education companies, you are helping them uh, train and empower the next generation of people who can go on and solve all of these different problems we have. There was, there's a quote by Thoreau that says something to the effect of there's a thousand striking at the branches of evil to one uh, striking at the root. Um, and that was actually a quote that kind of was an initial spark for me and in being interested in education. I went down this like two-year path of trying to figure out what is that root of a lot of the problems. And, uh, and my opinion and philosophy about that is still developing, but I think it's very much based in education. And so that's why I've become so fascinated uh, by, by education. And so I think, although maybe you'd like to have a more hands-on involvement with some of these other problems, you are indirectly uh, <laughs> affecting positive change across all of them. Yeah, um, no, totally. I, I fully agree. And this is, this is what I do. What, this is why I do what I do, basically. Absolutely. I also have that deep conviction. Um, shifting away from transcend and into some, into the future of learning and work landscape as a whole, some of the, the problems and opportunities there. Um, you've written a fair, a fair amount about this idea of bridging education or training and work. You just wrote about uh, I think you called it challenger universities. And so I wanted to ask, uh, what are some of the most promising developments? And, and maybe you can highlight some companies too, whether they've gone through Transcend or not, but what are some of the most promising developments you're seeing in that space, uh, that pipeline from training to work? And then also what problems still need to be worked on there? What are the areas of improvement that we still need? Totally. Oh, this is a great question. And um, I could talk about this for, the whole length of the podcast. Yeah, maybe we um, need a separate episode on this. Yeah, uh, but I think one, like a few areas to to highlight are, I think just generally at a high level, um, I think there needs, there is a, a moral imperative to connect education back to employment and to be able to not only do that and develop better and more continuous vocational pathways, but to also provide kind of on, on the other side, be able to provide lifelong learning opportunities to allow us to move between jobs, right? Um, if we are only focused on getting people the first job and getting them into an industry at age 18, and that's it, I think we're failing societies because then it will be, look what happens to that person if, if they don't want to do that job. Um, I think there needs to be something bigger than just finding a job as the goal of education. Um, so I am encouraged by the progress that I'm seeing and some, um, what I've called work integrated learning. Uh, well, I haven't coined the term, but what I think of as work integrated learning, um, we did a research project with reach capital, um, an early stage VC fund in San Francisco in September of last year, where we looked at, um, basically innovations in the higher education space that, um, basically connected industry to um, the university experience. So I'm really excited about that space and Challenger Universities, which is the one that I recently wrote about in our in the Transcend newsletter, um, really resonated with a lot of people. Um, and I think there it's not necessarily connecting industry to 
the university experience because I think it's a little bit wider than that. But I think at a high level, it's about creating smaller scale universities that use technology to drive down the cost, improve the outcomes, and are basically able to cater to the needs of more specific students that are not being taken into account in the larger higher education system. So I think that is that it's a really promising direction of work and one that can bridge industry and, and education, but it can also do a lot of other wonderful things. I couldn't agree more. I like that, that one line summary. Um, so this is, this is a tough one and you may need a few seconds to think about it, but what's one seemingly crazy prediction you have for the future of learning and workspace in the next, we, we can put any time frame on it, but let's call it the next five to 10 years. So something that maybe seems obvious to you, but not obvious to other people or um, people might bet against it. But the more audacious, the better. Okay, so I think one one thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is that there's so many things about the higher education system that are very obviously flawed that everybody likes likes to dunk on on Twitter. There's other things that in my mind are really powerful and not going away anytime soon. So when I think of it, one of those things, uh, that's like the the social component, the, the belonging component of the four year university experience, particularly for 18 to 20 something years old, year olds. I think I, I'm just such a big believer in the power of learning communities that in my mind, the a lot of the reasons why people decide to study something is to find that new community. And I think in 20 years, that, that next community that you look to find will definitely not be in the university or master's programs that we might be looking at. I think it'll be a lot more, um, I think it'll be a, like very different programs and there'll be a lot more options. So I guess in a way I'm making this whole statement of like, yeah, universities are going to disappear, like whatever. But I think it's gonna happen for very different reasons. I think it's going to be because that social belonging component and that kind of um, community experience, it's going to shift totally from, oh, I, I got my degree at this university or I got my, uh, I played this sport. It will be a lot more granular almost like, um, I am a part of this community uh, that loves this style of guitar uh, that has a local chapter in my city and that I play a role in. Um, so anyways, that's, that's, the, that's the idea generally. No, that, that really resonates with me. The, the internet and globalization has allowed for much more niche identities. And you can find that on the internet in these specialized communities. It, it totally makes sense. Um, awesome, well, the last question, is uh, what advice would you give to somebody who's starting a company in this space? Um, maybe what are the one to three things that you think are really critical Critical, and, and people often right. overlook when starting a business? Yeah, so I, I could basically recite the, the curriculum that we're building at Transcend uh, with like some of the most common uh, founders. This is, this is a good marketing uh, excerpt from Transcend. <laughs> uh, let, let me know if you see a, a shift in my tone from just having a conversation to trying to sell your product. And if, if so, just uh, hang up my, 
hang me up on Zoom. Um, so I, basically, I, I think there's there's a few things. Uh, one, for founders specifically in building something in education and the future of work, th there's usually just there's a very big difference between what your users want and what your buyers want. And those people are different people. <laughs> if you're building a consumer startup, your user is your buyer. And you just need to make sure that this user is having a wonderful experience. And with education, I think it becomes really tricky because often the student that is using a tool is not the parent or the administrator that is paying for it. And I think there is, we have a long way to go in terms of being able to map out all those needs and balance them out. So I would, this is a very, very simple idea, but make sure that you understand all the, the needs of the stakeholders and embed that in everything that you do. So for example, if you think about assessment, um, so much of how we do assessments in traditional education systems is to satisfy the needs of certain stakeholders that are involved in the schooling system. And when you actually map all of those out, I think assessments would look very different in 2021 uh, if we did that exercise, basically. Um, so that's a big one. Um, I would say a second one would be that it takes a lot more experimentation than I think uh, most people uh, realize. And these are all just very recent topics that, for sessions that we've run at Transcend. But I think education is a really interesting space where there's very rarely a winner-take-all dynamic. Um, there's very rarely something that scales super quickly and is able to get to, I don't know, uh, a billion people at the speed that maybe consumer startups like TikTok or um, other applications would. And so in my mind, there's all this kind of need to constantly be validating the needs of your customer that that, that I think ends up paying off in the long term, but it usually takes a really long time of constantly trying it out until it becomes obvious. And I think a lot of founders that are new to education spend a few years trying to scale something because they've had some initial validation and then they realize that it doesn't work and then they give up. And um, in my mind, there's a, there's a longer validation process, but the payoff is also larger in the end. Um, so those are some, some simple ideas. No, that's a simple, but incredibly in insightful. Um, awesome. Well, I will, we're way over time. Thank you for, for joining uh, this. Um, can really quickly, where can people find you and follow along with you and Transcend? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, so Alberto Ardenaza, um, at Alberto Ardenaza. And um, I am also um, Clubhouse these days, even though I don't use it as much the same handle and the last plug is our newsletter so we write the transcend newsletter it's on substack transcend.substack um and yeah highly recommend your your uh, blog awesome well thanks alberto and uh have a good one we'll talk soon i hope you enjoyed the conversation don't forget to review and share and stay tuned for more episodes